This week we're going to be talking about how God wants us to behave again as, as a matter of worship, but with the things that we have, the things that we hold dear, um, the things that we count as treasure. And we're going to be talking today a lot about treasure and possessions and things that we value. And we'll find that the Lord has a um, kingdom principle or a kingdom ethic that he wants to pass on to us so that, again, as he has come from heaven to give us this information, he wants us trained in how to behave in the kingdom of heaven, both here and into eternity. So he's teaching us what he knows, what he's experienced, what he wants his people to know. So let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll begin the lesson. <clears throat> we thank you, Lord, for these things that we're learning about the kingdom of heaven. We ask that you would just implant them on our hearts and on our minds today. Help us to understand that you have a plan for us to live before others in a way that honors you. We just ask this in your name. Amen. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll pick up where Michelle left off last week. We're going to start with verses 19 and 20, dealing with treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. We're going to look at the contrast that Jesus paints for us there and the instructions he gives us <clears throat> because what he's going to be talking about in all of our lesson today is where, where is your heart? Where is your heart planted? Is it planted here on earth or is it planted on heavenly things? So <clears throat> I want to just read verses 19 and 20 and then we'll, we'll talk about them. We'll take each of these things in sections. So Jesus says in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust decay or destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now on your outlines, I have three things listed there. I have a prohibition, a positive command, and a kingdom principle that's all connected in those two verses that we read. So first of all, we have a prohibition something that we are not to do. What does he tell us not to do? Do not store up treasures on earth that where moth and rust can decay, where thieves can break through and steal. So do not do that, a prohibition. Then the positive command. Instead of doing that, do this. Store up the treasures that you have in heaven. But in order to do that, you have to look at <clears throat> what Jesus considers heavenly treasure. We're going to be talking about that today, too. <clears throat> but the kingdom principle that he's giving us here, then, is where your treasure is, there will your heart be. What you value is what you love in your heart. And so Jesus wants to point us heavenward. So treasure refers to a whole lot of things. <clears throat> it can refer to money, possessions. That is certainly part of it. But it also can refer to people that we treasure and place before God. All of this has to do with where is our heart? Are we distracted so that we don't worship God as we ought to? 
Is our heart set somewhere else other than God? So it could be people, it could be things, possessions, it could be status, it could be things that interest us, that take over our lives, take over our minds. Earthly treasure that will not be here, <clears throat> that where moth and rust can decay. Earthly treasure doesn't last. So I want to um, take a minute and look up a couple of verses that I also have on your outline. I want you to turn over to Hebrews 1, and we're going to talk about the problem of storing up treasure on earth, first of all. So Hebrews 1. I have quite a few verses today that I want to spend some time on that help us to expand the lesson and understand it a little bit. Starting in verse 10 of Hebrews 1, he, Jesus says, In the beginning, O Lord, <clears throat> you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will, what's the word? They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. The things that are will not be. The earth as God created it will not be. He laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of his hand, but they will wear out like a garment, and you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same. This is speaking about Jesus, and your years will never end. Ours won't either as we go on into heaven with him. But the earthly things will pass away. So I want you also then to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10. <clears throat> and some other things that we learn about storing up treasure on earth. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And so the treasures we lay up on earth will not last. And he repeats this theme over and over throughout scripture. Verse 11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And so he tells us, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed his coming. And that's often what we do not do. We don't live with heaven in view. We live with earth in view. And Jesus is trying to raise our sights off of this earth and the things that will not last to heaven which will last. It says, um, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, <clears throat> and the elements will, meet in, will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And so Jesus pairs, Peter here pairs the kingdom of heaven with righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all his righteousness. We're going to be reading a little bit later in this uh, lesson. So righteousness is part and parcel of the kingdom of God. If you seek the kingdom of God, you're going to be seeking his righteousness. And Peter reminds us in his letter here that that's something that we need to do as believers. Now, Jesus tells us to store up treasures in heaven, and I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians just for an idea of what 
he's referring to here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. This is talking about us who are believers. If any man builds on this foundation, and this is Paul is speaking about the foundation of the gospel that he has first given to us. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. Because the day, and that's the day of the Lord, will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. And if it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping the flames. And so again, Jesus is saying, don't store up treasure here on earth. It will disappear. And your reward will be lessened. Now, God rewards us. We don't like to think about reward often, that I'm working for reward. Some people are very reward-oriented, but we don't, we don't do our ministry with reward in mind. We do it out of love for God, but God loves us so much that he wants to reward us as we minister for him. And he has rewards laid up for us in heaven. But those rewards will come as we continue walking and working and and keeping our eyes on him. They're heavenly rewards. And he wants to give them to us. He wants them not to be burned up in the fire. Our works, he wants them to stay. All right, and finally in this section, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Here Paul sets um, kind of a standard for giving and for working for the Lord. In verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. We probably memorized that verse years ago in Sunday school. God loves a cheerful giver as we give unto him and lay up treasures in heaven. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust won't corrupt. Go down to verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, this is talking about God, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God has a plan for us here on earth to give generously to him and store up treasure in heaven, and he will supply all of our needs. Now, at the end of this um, chapter that we're reading in Matthew today, we have a section that Jesus calls the, the cure for worry, talking about what we do here on earth now and how God takes care of us. And as we yield ourselves to ministry and to working and giving and laying up treasure in heaven, the promise is that he will take care of us. And that's what Jesus says to us here. 
So when we get to letter E on your outline, I have this. The question here for these verses is, where is your treasure? Is your treasure set on earth or is it set in heaven? And that's a question that you'll have to decide for yourself as to how you want to live your life. Living it outwardly for God, serving him, not necessarily counting treasure laying up, but because you love him and want to minister for his name. Laying up treasure. Now, the second part of what Jesus goes into here after he covers these verses on treasure kind of seems like uh, when he's talking about laying up treasure, he jumps to something that seems kind of strange. In Matthew 6, 22, it looks like the subject immediately changes. Talks about treasure up above, and then in 22 he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is dark, how great is that darkness? Now that seems a strange set of verses to put in there right after he's talked about laying up treasure. Can you think of how it might connect? Uh-huh. If we have unhealthy eyes, Sandy said we see treasure and we might desire it, and that's actually the key to it. If we have unhealthy eyes, if we're looking with eyes that have not been um, given spiritual sight, because what healthy eyes are, are eyes that have been given spiritual sight. Rather than um, just looking out with unhealthy eyes, with natural eyes, let's use the word natural and spiritual here, the natural eye looks out and sees just exactly what's right in front of him. Things good and things bad. The healthy eye that has been touched by the Spirit of God sees from within. We're talking about spiritual sight here. So if we see with spiritual sight, we see more than just the day-to-day things that are around us. We see needs. We see people that are hurting. We see people that we can minister to through the generosity of God. We want God to work through us instead of just looking at things with the natural mind of God, mind of man, and seeing the mess around us. Actually getting disturbed by it, but not doing anything about it. The Bible talks about the eye being the spiritual mind of God. And I want to give you a couple of verses. Ephesians 1.18. Paul prays here. In Ephesians 1.18. And you have to think about this whole thing of sight when you think of a healthy eye and an unhealthy eye. But Paul prays in verse 18 of Ephesians 1. I pray also that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that when you look out, you see with the eyes of your heart. You see the difference? Where is your treasure? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And if your heart is yielded to God, Paul prays that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which God has called you. 
the riches of your glorious, his glorious inheritance in the saints and his exceedingly great power for us who believe. And then he goes on and talks about the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ and our resurrection in him. But God has given us spiritual sight with which we can look upon the world and see the world as a world in need and turn our natural desire to build up treasure for ourselves into a godly desire to build up treasure in heaven. Does that make sense? And that's what he's talking about here. So when we get down to um, question, let me give you the answers for letter A. If your eyes are good and healthy, your whole body will be full of light or health, spiritual health. If your eyes are bad or unhealthy, the body will be full of darkness because you will only see with unhealthy eyes. But if God has enlightened the eyes of your heart, you're going to see with his eyes. And so the question is, how does your heart see the world around you? Do you see the world around you with the eyes of God? Or do you see them with the eyes of your own self, your own nature? If you see them, the world with the eyes of God, you will see needs. You will see people who are wounded, people who are hurting, and your heart then will respond. And in that process, treasure is involved. You're laying up treasure in heaven as you minister. So something that seems strange to fit in a discussion about possessions and treasure fits perfectly. It's what we see. Where our heart is, there will our treasure be. So let's go on. The third thing that he talks about here is having two masters. Jesus is very adamant about this. We've read this and even memorized these verses too. But Jesus says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. But this is an absolute. You cannot love God, both God and money. Now, some of your Bibles have mammon. And what Jesus does in this little statement is he personifies money. He makes it a God that can take over your whole being so that money, represented by the ancient God mammon, takes over your heart. So um, on your outlines, money is personified as mammon or a God that can, you think can exist alongside of the God of heaven. Jesus says absolutely not, and it's an absolute. You cannot love God and mammon. The two cannot coexist. God and any other God cannot exist within you and have one of them be prominent because the one who is going to be prominent will control all that you do. If mammon is your God, money is your God, who's in control? You're, you're working for mammon. You're working for money. Laying up treasures, not honoring God. So, Jesus puts this as an absolute. I do not want you serving two masters. You cannot do it. You cannot. White and black make gray. Right and wrong make nothing. 
make a wrong. They make neither right nor wrong. Jesus says, lukewarm, cold and hot, makes lukewarm. I'd rather spit it out of my mouth. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I want to take a look at some verses in the Old Testament because Israel was good at this, thinking that they could worship God and um, another God. And the people who took over their territories brought other gods in. So I'm going to have you turn over to 2 Kings 17. Now I want to just give you a little bit of history in in this chapter, and then I'll read a few verses. But in 2 Kings 17, down to the end of the chapter, um, what this does is illustrate the impossibility of worshiping God and any other God. And after the Israelites were overtaken by the Assyrians and they were sent into captivity, a large group of them still remained in Israel. And what the Assyrians, who captured the Israelites, carried them off into their own nation, the Assyrians then would take other captives from other nations that they had and they poured them into their nation that they had just captured, which in this case was Israel. So they brought in people from all sorts of nations, and as a result, these people brought their gods along and worshipped their gods. And when their gods wouldn't answer their prayers or wouldn't bring anything to pass for them, they then thought, well, let's worship the God that lives here, the one that the Israelites know. And so what they did was bring in their own priests and train them to worship the gods, the real God, alongside of their own God. And that's what this chapter is about. You should read it. It's extremely interesting. I want to start reading in verse 32, but that's the background here. So what they've done is brought in a bunch of people who do not know the God of Israel, but decide to mingle that God, our God, the God of Israel, with these other gods. So in verse 32 it says, they worship the Lord, and this is talking about both the Israelites that remained and the new people that were brought in. They worship the Lord, but they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worship the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. To this day, they persist in their former practices. Now, this is saying at the time that this was written. But to this day, even in Samaria, when we read about the Samaritan woman, we know that the the Israelites would not accept the Samaritans at that time because they had a mixed religion, watered down and changed. To this day, they persist in their former practices. They neither worship the Lord nor adhere to the to the decrees and ordinances, the laws and commands that the Lord gave the descendants of Jacob, whom he had named Israel. Let's go down to verse 40. They would not listen, however, when God called them to his own laws, but persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. And to this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their fathers did. And the worship of God got washed down and intermingled to the extent that Israel itself adopted their practices. We know that 
Because as we go through the Old Testament, we find that Israel no longer worshipped their God alone. Their God and their God alone. When we get to the book of Judges, that's the big problem. All of the teachings of the people that were also in the land of Israel or in the land of Jacob brought their own religions along and they intermingled, hot and cold, lukewarm doesn't work. And so what Jesus says here, you need to be careful with what you bring into your life from the world. It doesn't work. You cannot serve God and mammon. Possessions, money, things, position, any of these things, because it will overtake you. In James, on your outline, if you want to look at that, James, in uh, chapter 4, verse 4, issues a warning, and I've got the verse there for you. It just simply says, friendship with the world means enmity with God, an opposing stance. It divides you and distracts you from worshiping the Lord alone. Whoever chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You cannot have God and mammon. Jesus puts it as an absolute. You know what we do with that? We say, well, this isn't so bad. Or actually, we can make this work. And we begin, little by little, to bring things into our lives that God does not want. We bring them into the church and adopt them for our own. Because society says they're acceptable. And God says, be careful. To bring those things in that he has not laid out for us, weaken everybody. And so Jesus is very strong on this. And the question is, uh, letter E on your outline is this. Do you have an undivided interest in God? Or is your interest divided by something else that you think is really important to you? Does it infringe on your relationship with the Lord? We put things in our lives that we think are innocent. We spend more time with them than we do in the word of God. And that, that's actually what he's talking about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So it comes down to, again, where is your heart? Now, that's kind of heavy to make you think about that. But we need to talk about this whole concept of spiritual distraction. We'll go back to Matthew again. In this next portion, starting in verse 25 through 34, maybe in your Bibles it's called the cure for worry. And it's a lovely little portion of scripture where it talks about looking at the birds of the air and looking at the flowers and seeing how God cares for us and how it reminds us not to worry about things because he wants to provide for us everything that we need. But we, what we want to do is we want to hang on to those things that are important to us so that we can provide for us the things that we need. And we have then a case of spiritual distraction. We can't spend as much time in the word as we need to. We can't be at church when sometimes we need to or minister 
when we need to. And so we need to connect the context of what Jesus is saying in these next verses to what's been going on in everything he has said before. All of the illustrations above are designed to make us uncomfortable with our faith. In fact, everything that we have read since we began this series on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes are designed to make us uncomfortable with where we are in our faith because he calls us to himself and he wants us there without distraction. God himself says, I'm a jealous God. I want your love. I want all of your love. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so everything that we're reading and talking about connects us to Jesus' call to the kingdom ethic of surpassing righteousness, more righteousness than the religious leaders of Jesus' day whole righteousness that comes from him. And all of these verses connect. They're not new. These are things that have been repeated in the Bible from the very beginning. In Exodus 20, 1 through 4, and we, we won't read it all. I just want to summarize this, but it talks about, you shall have no other gods before me. Seems pretty basic. You cannot have God and mammon in your life. You cannot worship God and mammon. So Exodus 21 through 4 talks about you shall have no other images, no carved images, nothing at all that distracts from worship of me. Thou shalt have no other gods. It could be family, sports, your home, your work. God is still to be first. Now, I don't have this verse listed, but Deuteronomy 6.4, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Love God and love him first. And that connects us to Matthew 27, 37 through 40 that I have in here that I've called in, in our um, earlier lesson, the Jesus Law, where he says, this sums up all the law and the prophets, and it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And the, and the next one is, and love your neighbor as yourself, and on this hinges all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Here it is. Love the Lord your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and your neighbor as yourself, on this hinges all the law of God. Now, in our lesson today, we end with Matthew 6.33. And it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, See, they're linked again. And all of these things will be given to you as well. All of the things he's talked about up until this point. Now, we're going to go over the beginning part of this section that's called the cure for worry. But Jesus is making it very clear that the heart of all of this talking that he's doing has to do with setting him above all other things. Seek him, not second. Seek him first.
So connecting the context. Now let's go back to Matthew 6, 25 through 30. I always think this is a lovely passage to read. And I have to tell you, it's very convicting to me because I am a worrier. I like to know how things are laid out. I make lists. <laughs> and um, I just like to know. So I suppose it's like a lot of us. It's hard to let go of things. And there's some beautiful poetic language in here that appeals to me you know, as a former English teacher, and I can picture some beautiful things. But this is a strong lesson that Jesus teaches, and what he does here in this section now is he takes it from these hard words that he's given us up above, where your treasure is, there will your heart be. Make sure your eyes are seeing things correctly. Don't worship anything other than me. You cannot serve two masters those are strong things. And now it's like he says, listen, all of these things apply to your everyday life. And that's what he starts to talk about here. So he says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Pretty common, right? Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And then he says, and he starts to reason and cause us to reason. He says, these, you know, don't worry about these everyday things, cares that you have. He says, look at the birds of the air. I'm going to reason with you. Look at those birds. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They don't worry about a thing. Now, he's not telling us, don't go to work. You can lay around all day. You know, you don't have to earn a living. It's okay. Government will give you a good check if you lay around long enough. He's not telling us any of that. He's saying, listen, God loves you. And here's what he says. Look at the birds. They don't sow or reap. They don't store away seeds or anything in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's a good question. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Use your common sense, folks. That's what he's saying. Don't get all caught up in earthly things. What you will wear, what you will eat, if you're on the keto diet or the who knows what? Don't worry about all of these things and make them the most important thing in your life because God knows what you need and he wants to take care of you. Worrying about things won't add a single worry, a single thing to my life. I have to think about that, see? Okay, and then verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and in the morning is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? He's going to take care of your needs. That is what God is saying. For your heavenly Father 
knows what you need. And this is the key. Your heavenly Father, God in heaven above, the one that you seek to worship and claim to know, knows what your needs are. And then he says this, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. And let me see if I can find where I had here. Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, ye of little faith? Wow. I want to talk for a few minutes about faith and no faith. For it says, He clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? I have a section on there about between faith and no faith. And we need to think about that. How do you define little faith? He says, oh, don't worry about these things. Oh, you of little faith. When you worry, do you, do you connect it with faith? Or do you connect it with all the things you can see in front of you? We look at the pile of stuff that's in front of us, don't we? And we might be praying to God, but we still go ahead and we work our way through that pile. We take it on ourselves to work out the issues and the problems and things in our life. And Jesus says, don't worry about this. How can you worry about it? O ye of little faith. Now, anxiety and worry, and I have to take this for myself too, is a barometer of our faith in God. And we come down to a question of, can he fill our needs or not? Do we believe he can fill our needs? Well, yeah, I, I believe he can fill our needs, but will he? Maybe he needs me to do it, too. So that's where I think a lot of us are. But ultimately, what God calls us to do here, what Jesus calls us to do is to apply what we know about our Father in heaven to the needs of our day. We need to apply what we know. It isn't that we don't have any faith. We have a little faith. And Jesus wants to stretch that so that it covers our needs. What do you know about God? And Jesus is saying, listen, you know he feeds the birds. You know he takes care of the flowers of the field. You know what else? You know he's your heavenly father. You call him that. And he loves you more than he loves anything. He loves you to the extent that he gave his son for you. And we need to then go to the scriptures and take the words of God and apply them to our lives. And I'm speaking to myself here as well as everybody. Okay? So what he's saying is, don't have anxiety about all of these things. Trust God. Little faith grows as you come to know your Father in heaven. Apply what you know. And so what Jesus does here, ultimately, is that he provides a solution for our worry and for our little faith. Little faith isn't a good thing. All right? Yes? It's kind of interesting. It goes after the eye. What are you looking at? Mm-hmm. 
see how interesting it is, and I'm glad you brought that up, Bethany. What this does is it takes us back to that healthy eye. So when I see the pile of stuff in front of me, I'm looking at it with an unhealthy eye. I'm forgetting that God is my Father. I'm forgetting all of the things I know and have studied and have taught. And I see the pile of stuff and I start to work my way through it and worry my way through. And Jesus says, hold it. Apply what you know. His words are, and I want to go back to verses 31, 32, and 33, and 34. He provides a solution. 31. I'm going to go all the way back up. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For I don't want you to behave like a pagan. He says, for the pagans run after all these things and scurry and worry. And that's what I do, scurry and worry. Scramble and mumble and grumble. And he's saying no. He says, first of all, don't worry. For the pagans, those that I've asked you to live surpassingly righteous lives, more righteous than they, for they have no righteousness, the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. Trust him. And how do you learn to trust God? He gives us the answer. Verse 33. Now we've been saying this since we were little kids. We sing this lovely song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is the solution for worry. It takes some discipline and it takes some work. But this is what Jesus says. Okay, folks, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, which are tied together. Pray that that eye will be a healthy eye, a spiritual eye, that you might be strengthened with all might in the inner man so that you begin to trust him. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will, will be given to you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Focus on one day. Focus on today. And seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And in the seeking we will find that God is able and faithful and will supply all of our needs. For my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It seems so simple, doesn't it? But this is what he gives us as a solution for distraction and cares in the very simple living of life, seeking him first. So where is your heart? Where is your treasure? What does your eye see? Do you have distracted worship? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's pray.
Lord, I thank you for these words, and I thank you for what they mean to me and challenge me. Thank you, Lord, for putting them here for us today. That in the midst of all sorts of things, all sorts of things, you are the one that we are to seek first. And in the seeking, Lord, we'll find that all of the things that we need will be given to us. We praise you, Lord, that you are a heavenly Father and that you have loved us so much that you spared not your own son for us. And in that, you will freely give us all things. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.